All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show, a men's interview, interest and improvement focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Josh Selledge. Josh, or Coach Jay, has spent over a decade studying grappling sports and human performance, working with and learning from the best minds in physical therapy, biomechanics, strength and conditioning. He studied kinesiology with a concentration in exercise sciences at William Jessup University and is a certified strength and conditioning specialist within the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Coach Jay has studied under and worked alongside world record holders in powerlifting, professional bodybuilders, NCAA wrestling All-Americans and national champions, and IBJJF Worlds and Pan Am champions. Coach Jay has worked with high school and college wrestlers across the country and many more jiu-jitsu athletes across the world. His unique blend of knowledge and strength and conditioning and experience in the mat provides him with the tools necessary to help all his athletes win more matches and get injured less. And in this interview, we discuss how to set up a training program to build strength for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and all areas of your life, recovery protocols you need to implement, why you need the strength matrix in your life right now, mindset hacks to win more matches and get injured less, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on to do this. It's an absolute honour to have you. Now, I found you roughly by accident while I was on Instagram, and this popped up about this guy who could get me better in Jiu-Jitsu. A massive fan of Jiu-Jitsu, and two minutes in, I was like, subscribing to everything you did. But for people who maybe don't know who you are, could you just give a quick introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Ian. I'm, I'm fired up to be here. Uh, my name is Josh Setledge, and I, I like to say I'm the BJJ strength coach, even though I do work with wrestling athletes as well as jiu-jitsu athletes. But my primary goal, uh, at least for this year and for a long time, but specifically for this year, is to help 1,000 grappling athletes win more matches and get injured less. And there's a huge problem that I've seen over the past decades worth of grappling training and, and strength conditioning training that I've done. And that's that, that grappling athletes don't always have sound strength and conditioning resources for them to be able to decrease their risk of injury, get stronger, increase their conditioning and improve their explosive power. And unfortunately, that results in a couple of different things. It results in people getting injured. It results in uh, athletes not being able to achieve the goals that they want to achieve and being disappointed in their performance. And ultimately, unfortunately, it leads to burnout and people turning away from the sport. And so my goal is to help as many grappling athletes as I can enhance their athletic performance so that they can ultimately win more matches and most importantly, uh, get injured less. We all want to be doing jujitsu as long as we can. So if we can enhance our quality of performance and decrease the amount of times we're going to get injured and take time off the mat that's always a, a win-win for us because that's a big part of it. like when you first start it it's amazing and it's you know you're getting shown moves and that and then as soon as they say okay now roll 
against a, somebody that's actually shown a bit of resistance, you're like, holy hell. You can start getting launched around and choked out, and you're like, oh, this, this is crazy. But when you're doing jiu-jitsu, well, for me, like, I was really wanting to focus this from, like, a kind of how to go from a BJJ hobbyist to a BJJ athlete, how to kind of switch to that mentality, to that physicality. And something I struggled with was I was knackered from jiu-jitsu. I'm 39 now. And when I'm doing the, when I was kind of training, I was like the thought of going off and working in the gym on my off days with knackering, you know, I was doing my old powerlifting program. Mm. Like I was hitting heavy deads, heavy bench. Of course, it's like the masculine thing. You know, it's like everything's got to be heavy, heavy, heavy. And I I couldn't find a program that was designed for jujitsu and would would benefit jujitsu. It was all kind of, you know, build muscle, Jay Cutler kind of stuff. That's why I was delighted when I found your stuff. But how do you even start going about mixing jujitsu and strength training and conditioning and that sort of thing, in addition to just, you know, training and grappling? Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up uh, a really great story um, from your experience, which I think a lot of grappling athletes have. I know I've, I had this when I wrestled in high school. I knew that I wanted to take my wrestling to the next level. And I knew that I needed to do some sort of strength and conditioning. But when you look up, you know, workouts online, it's like bodybuilding workouts or strictly powerlifting workouts or, you know, in the strength and conditioning community, at least at the time that I was in high school, there was so much great content on football strength and conditioning or basketball strength and conditioning, but not a whole lot specifically for wrestling. And so over the years, it took me some time to kind of decipher all these different things and pull from all these different resources, which did include traditional bodybuilding, traditional powerlifting, a little bit of Olympic weightlifting, gymnastics, all those different things. And what I found is that for jujitsu athletes in particular, and wrestling athletes have similar demands, but there's different in a couple of different ways. But uh, just talking about jujitsu, most jujitsu athletes usually aren't in a position where they have so much strength that they need to get weaker or they're so physically resilient that they need to uh, get weaker in a sense. Nobody ever lost a jujitsu match because they were too strong. Now, the kind of the history of jujitsu and especially when it was popularized in the UFC, it was pretty popular because a smaller less strong individual could outperform and submit a larger and stronger individual. So it gained a lot of popularity with that notion that, okay, a a smaller, weaker framed individual could outperform and submit a stronger individual. So maybe there's some evidence to go to show that strength isn't the most important thing. And in that context, that was very true. But then you start to have two jujitsu athletes competing against each other or a jujitsu athlete and an you know a jujitsu athlete in MMA versus a, another athlete in MMA that did jujitsu and strength trained. Well, now that their skills are equal, the determining factor on who's going to outperform the other is based off of who's stronger, who's more physically resilient, who's faster, who's more mobile. And so quickly, there is a need for sound strength conditioning in jujitsu. And some of the things that would help with that are just by focusing on building the big foundation of strength. Jiu-jitsu is awesome. It's a great cardiovascular workout. You get tons and tons and tons of rolling in, which definitely blows your lungs up and you work up a great sweat. But jujitsu as an activity itself, it does miss some of those pure strength components that would be great for just being healthy in everyday life. And uh, there's a lot of things you can do with jujitsu to continue developing conditioning, but there's not a lot of things you can do with jujitsu to develop strength. So 
it's important to outside of jujitsu, make sure you're dedicating some time to getting stronger, making sure you're dedicating time to developing some of those commonly injured areas like the neck, like the shoulders, hips, knees, low back, things like that. And that is where I would say to kind of circle back to your original question, that's where I would say a lot of jujitsu hobbyists can actually start to make the transition into being a jujitsu athlete. Now, whether they want to compete at the highest levels of jujitsu, that's their, that's their choice. And, and that, that's kind of a different story, but making the decision from like, Hey, like I've been kind of like dipping my toes in the water of jujitsu. And now this is something that I really want to do a lot more seriously and, and participate in a lot more frequently. One of the best things that they can do is to start to develop a strong foundation of strength. That way they're more physically resilient. They're less likely to get injured and it's going to help all of the positions that they're in, in jujitsu. Someone who is, has stronger hamstrings or has stronger glutes is going to have much better takedowns. Someone that has a stronger grip is going to have much better collar chokes. Someone that has a much stronger hips and a much greater base of stability, they're going to be a lot harder to sweep because they've developed that strength to be able to not only uh, increase the effectiveness of their defense in jujitsu, but also the effectiveness of their offensive techniques as well. I love that because that's when I started taking it a bit more serious because I tried to be like everybody else when I first started. And these guys were coming in with six packs and, you know, they're all like 20 odd. And I was starting when I was about 35, 36. And, okay. I, you know, when I was deadlifting and powerlifting, I could like, because my neck and all that, you know, I could barely get my legs over my head. When we're doing oh. the warm up, I used to be with Gracie Barra, you know, and they would do like legs over the head and touch the floor. And I'd be like, what the fuck? And that's what got me. And then I was like, okay, I'm gassing out. Right. Okay. I need to work on doing some running, but that would knocker me. And then I would go, okay, I'll go for a cycle instead. And that would knocker me for training as well. Mm. And then I was thinking, well, what, what, how else do you do this? And then people were saying, work on your mobility and mm. get your flexibility for your, your hips in. And I was like, okay, I'll do that as well then. But uh, how, what else do I do? And how do I fit that in with that and that and that? And there was nowhere to find that. And that's why I think you're so popular is that people are actually going, this is a guy that actually understands what we're going through. Because I got told from the start, don't use strength. And I kept saying, well, surely I use the attributes I've got. You know, you're maybe smaller than me, so I can, you're faster than me. So I maybe need to use strength to mobilize. And people are like, mm. no, no, no strength, no strength. And what got me was, Surely, it as you go into competitions, this you know, if you're both the same level of um, skill, it's going to be the person who's stronger, the person who's faster, the person who you know can do these. And I was like, well, surely that's a benefit. And I think that's what we're realizing now is all these elite athletes, they're like, don't be silly, strength is major. You know, you have to be mm -hmm. fast, you have to be explosive. So, how do we start building this work capacity? You know, to go from and mimic the demands of our training. Because like we were talking about, you know, men's health, oh, build your biceps to look good for the beach. But I'd rather yeah. use my biceps to control somebody, move somebody around. Like you're saying, the hamstrings, the glutes, the holding positions. And, you know, how, how do you start that kind of adaptation to get used to the frequency intensity in addition to training? Yeah, that's a great question. And you bring up an excellent point that there are um, a lot, there's a lot of great stuff out there as far as fitness and strength and conditioning goes to tackle a certain goal, whether that's having better biceps for the beach or whether that's having a stronger bench press. But there, you're right, there isn't a whole lot of stuff out there that directly translates and correlates to the stuff we do on the mat. And 
the at least if, in my experience and and what I've seen with all the athletes that I work with around the world is that some of the most important things that we focus on is just making sure that they're able to move effectively. So we look at movements like the squat. Now that doesn't mean we're always putting a bar on their back and doing a traditional powerlifting back squat, but we are going to do our best to get their hips below parallel. We're going to do things like a split squat, a lunge, as some sort of horizontal press, whether that's a standard bench press or something like a floor press. We're going to do vertical pressing, horizontal pulling, vertical pulling. We're going to do, uh, this is a big one, rotation and then anti-rotation. So being able to rotate your upper body and being able to resist rotation. One of the best things that you can do in jujitsu to be able to control someone is to twist their spine. Almost every single guard pass that someone does, um, whether that's a smash pass, whether that's a knee cut pass, a toriando pass, what you're doing is you're finding a way to put a twist in someone's spine so they aren't able to move their hips as effectively, and that way you can get past their legs. So building strength in rotation and building strength in resisting rotation is great for jujitsu. Making sure that we're also focusing things on like um, the mobility of the hips and shoulders, making sure that we have adequate rotation of the shoulder. If your shoulder gets stuck at a certain point, you have a limited range of motion. Uh, jujitsu is probably going to highlight those those limitations very quickly because the sport is literally designed around doing everything that the body is naturally designed to do and then doing the opposite. So you, you only bend your arm one direction. Well, jujitsu is all about taking someone's arm and bending it the opposite direction. Your knee and hip only rotate this, this way. Well, now it's all about rotating it the opposite way so you can finish those submissions. So focusing on just general basic human movements is something that I'd like to focus on right at the beginning with each athlete making sure that they can squat, making sure that they can press in any direction, making sure that they can do, do a pulling motion in any direction. They could lunge both out to the side and out in front and backwards. Once we look at all those different things, the hip hinge, so deadlifting, RDLs, all those things are very important as well. Once we've kind of established a base of movement, like, okay, this person can move well, then we start to load those movements. And how we load those movements may look different from athlete to athlete. And I think a lot of that is just based on personality type and what that person enjoys doing. I have several athletes that I can think of right now who really just, they love powerlifting. And some of them came from a powerlifting background. Some of them kind of found powerlifting because they originally found my content through jujitsu, but I also worked closely with Mark Bell. So they found Mark Bell and found powerlifting. So because they are kind of fans of the sport of powerlifting, we'll do some heavy squatting movements. We will incorporate some box squatting. We will incorporate some traditional deadlifting movements with a straight barbell. On the other hand, I have some athletes that though they know that stuff is important, they're not big fans of it. They prefer stuff that's a little bit more, um, a little bit more similar to, I don't want to say Olympic weightlifting in the sense that we're doing traditional snatches and clean and jerks, but they really enjoy some really fast explosive movements. They like to do some body weight gymnastic exercises. We almost do, um, I don't want to call this loaded yoga where we're doing some of these deep flexion movements under load, but we will do things like the Cossack squat or even, you know, the knees over toes guy has been uh, a big proponent of this, the ATG split squat. We will incorporate some other exercises that fit well with that athlete based on their needs. And what's great about all this is that there really isn't a one size fits all solution to getting strong for jujitsu. I've seen athletes who have done strength and conditioning for jujitsu who take a more traditional powerlifting approach. I've seen athletes who uh, take a more what would look like a bodybuilding approach. 
However, the foundation of all those different approaches are the same. They're able to move effectively in all the different movements that humans should be able to move. So your squat, your lunge, your rotation, anti-rotation, vertical, horizontal pulling, all the all of those movements. They're able, they have a foundation of being able to do those things first, and then they're able to progress in those different movements in the ways that that they enjoy doing that. Because jujitsu was the first sport I found where, it, like you're saying, it's people are twisting you. They're they're alienating. They're you know they're taking a, one of your limbs away and doing. And suddenly, when people are like, "Okay, your legs have to be doing this, but your arm has to do this, and your head has to push into here," at the same time, you have to be bridging your head, and you're kind of like, what? And every other sport, it's like you know strong core, like you know tight uh, strengthening your leg muscle, and jujitsu is like take every single individual muscle and it should be doing something different. And you're like, yeah, because it is something insane. Like when I, the first person I ever heard talking about strength training on jujitsu was Chad Wesley Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I was kind of like blown away that such a big guy who's squatting like hundreds and hundreds of pounds was doing jujitsu. And then when I seen him moving, I was like, this is amazing. And the, the podcast you did with Mark, where you really went into it and he's really Barbells really seem to become open now to like people who are into grappling as well. It, it's almost cool become you know you've got like Henry Carville, you've got Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. you know it's becoming this really popular thing, and now we're getting to the point where we all know the moves, we all know the techniques, but we don't know how to level up, differentiate between the mass. You know, so how do we start breaking down into like a week? Do you have it like a three day here two? sessions of weight training one day calisthenic and one day crying in your bed because you're in agony you know how, how would you break up a week for a, say i'm 39 overweight um i can't go and hit the you know do 16 mile runs like some of these other young boys how would you break it down for say somebody like me yeah absolutely well uh, I get that question a lot. Like, okay, what's a good number of days to lift for jujitsu? How many days should I spend at jujitsu compared to days I spend in the gym? And my go-to answer is lift as much as you can, as often as you can, as long as it doesn't negatively impact your jujitsu, your jujitsu training. So, uh, to kind of like build a framework of this, how many days per week could you realistically spend in the gym each week? At the moment, see We'll work podcast, um, probably two, maybe something like that. Two? Okay, perfect. Right. That's awesome. I usually have every athlete, at least the athletes that I work with, I have them on either a two-day, three-day, or four-day split. Very rarely will I have an athlete, and it has happened before, where they're on a one-day or a five-day split. But for most of my grappling athletes, it's a two- to four-day split. So if you can get in the gym just two days a week, that's a perfect place to start. And the way I would break that up is I would set aside – one day to focus on, you're going to do full body workouts on both days, but for the lower body, I would focus on either being really heavy or really fast. And then uh, for the upper body, I would just do the opposite. And so I originally picked this up from Phil DeRue. He's the, uh, he was the former head of strength and conditioning coach at American top team in coconut Creek, Florida. And now he has his own facility. He's a strength and conditioning coach for Dustin Poirier, Ioana Yonjacek, uh, Jake Bost- Bostwick. He was also working with Steffi Cohen when she made her boxing debut, who was a world record holding powerlifter. And now she's um, a professional boxer. So uh, he, Phil is one of the greatest minds in strength and conditioning that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And so 
one thing that he turned me on to was something called the condensed conjugate system, which is something that he designed and pulled a lot from Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell. So the conjugate system, you basically have uh, three different training methods. You have the max effort method, which is where you do your heaviest lifts. You have your dynamic effort method, which is all about taking a sub-maximal weight and moving it as absolutely as fast as possible. And then you have your repetition effort method, which is kind of like the stuff in between. It's not super explosive and fast. It's not heavy. It's more of your traditional accessory work. Or sometimes, depending on how you do it, it may look like, like bodybuilding exercises. So with that, you with those two days, the way I would structure it for you, Ian, is I would pick one day where you go really heavy for the lower body, really fast for the upper body, and maybe pick one or two accessory exercises for the upper and lower body to do to kind of like multiplier muscle, as my man Mark Smelly Bell would say. And then on the second day, I would just flip-flop those things. So if on day one, say you did a really heavy Zercher box squat, I'm a big fan of the Zercher box squat. And then you work up to you know, a few heavy sets on the Zercher box squat. After that, I would move into something explosive for the upper body. So that could be a medicine ball throw. That could be a kettlebell clean. That could be a, a medicine ball slam. If you have bench uh, bench press and bands that could look like banded bench press, that would be day one. And at the end of those two big movements, I'd put in things like face pulls, curls, tricep pushdowns, maybe even some banded leg curls. Or if you have access to a reverse hyper to help with the lower back, do some reverse hypers. And that would be day one. And then on day two, I would just flip-flop that. So on day one, we went heavy for the lower body, which means on day two, we're going to go really fast for the lower body. That could look like speed squats, any sort of plyometric jump, bound. Some people even like to mix in their sprint work on their dynamic effort lower body days. And then after you do the, your main stuff for the main fast and explosive stuff for the lower body, you'll follow that up with your um, heavy stuff. Or I'm sorry. Well, it's good to start with the max effort stuff first and then moving into dynamic effort. So you would have started with the max effort heavy stuff for the upper body. And that could be a floor press, a Z press, some sort of uh, dumbbell lift for the upper body. You could use some people I've seen that have gotten really creative with some strongman implements where either they use a circus dumbbell or a log, or maybe they do something with um, what are the, it's, I think it's called a Viking press where it looks like a, you're basically doing a, a big T bar row uh, overhead a, press kind of apparatus you can do a viking press something heavy for the upper body and then when you do your dynamic effort work for the lower body that could be your sprints your jumps your speed squats speed deadlifts um, i think kettlebells are a great tool to use for dynamic effort lower body work and so kind of the circle back that's how i would structure a two-day training split each day has something heavy for the upper and lower body. Each day has something really fast and explosive for the upper and lower body. And then at the end of those two workouts, I'd pick, you know, maybe two to four other accessory exercises just to help focus on some weak points like your neck, low back, hamstrings, uh, rear delts, things like that. Jesus, tidying just listening to it, like, you know, because when I used to work out, it was always like balls to the wall. You know, it was yeah. like, let's let's hit a PR. And then, you know, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to keep it steady today. And then suddenly I'm doing a, a one rep max, you know. And it, it yeah, was just yeah. like, because my, my mate was into bodybuilding at the time, you know, he was going to physique competitions. He was wanting to do heavy reps, high reps. So what kind of rep scheme are you talking about? Um, and can we do this if it's body weight only? 
or do we really need to use weights and things? You know, and how how sports specific do we need to go, or do we just keep it basic? You know, a squat bar, deadlift. You know, say if it's the bears minimum equipment, can we just get away with body weight or kind of genetic movement patterns? Absolutely. So you can definitely build a ton of strength and explosiveness with body weight movement. Um, however, it would be a huge advantage in your favor if you had like some bands or even just a, a access to a pull-up bar or a set of dumbbells. To give one example, I had one athlete, um, his name's Connor. He's a high school wrestler. He's one of the most disciplined athletes I've ever worked with. And when uh, the lockdown first happened, his gym shut down, and but we were still training, we're still getting ready for wrestling season. And so over that summer of lockdown, all he had access to was a couple bands and a pull-up bar. And so all we did was just banded exercises and any exercise that could be done on a pull-up bar. Eventually, he got sick and tired of waiting around for uh, online stores to supply dumbbells again. So he went out and made his own dumbbells out of concrete. Nice. So all we had was bands, a pull-up bar, and dumbbells made from concrete in his backyard. And with those three training tools, we were able to still effectively train to help him get stronger improve his explosive power, improve his speed. And then with some of the other ways we were utilizing conditioning with some stance and motion drills and some occasionally some running and things like that, we were able to develop conditioning. By the end, by the time wrestling season started, he was faster, more explosive. His conditioning was great. He was, his mobility was on point and he actually ended the season as a league champion, which he had never done uh, prior in his wrestling career. So you don't need a giant fancy gym to make a ton of progress in strength and conditioning for jujitsu or wrestling. That being said, the more tools you have, uh, the more it's fun to kind of shake things up and, and add some, add some variety in there. But to, uh, to go back to uh, what you were mentioning before is you, some tools and like some rep schemes that would be good to use for jujitsu is it's really going to depend on where someone is in their competitive season. So the rep schemes that I would suggest an athlete use as they prepare for competition, they're about six to eight weeks away from a tournament or a big jujitsu match. That's going to look different than someone who doesn't have a competition coming up and they're kind of in quote unquote an off season. So for my competitive jujitsu athletes, oftentimes we are working up to some sort of max on those main movements. So if it's a lower body day, like uh, my uh, AM crew and I, we trained yesterday morning. We worked up to a three rep max on Zercher box squats. And then we followed that up with four sets of six reps on goblet walking lunges. So that was our heavy work for the lower body. After that, we moved into our explosive work for the upper body. And we ended up doing six sets of three reps on bench press versus chains and then six sets of three reps on some medicine ball chest passes. So the reps are going to change a little bit depending on kind of what your training goals are. But a good rule of thumb is to think like eight to 12 reps are kind of those bodybuilding rep ranges where you're really focusing on hypertrophy or increasing muscle size. Can you build m bigger muscles by going a little bit lower? Yes. Can you build bigger muscles by going a little bit higher? Yes. But for the most part, building bigger muscles will happen within that eight to 12 rep range. When you have that four to six rep range, that's a great range to develop some just kind of overall strength, 
Um, some people like to call it strength endurance as well, but for, for simplicity's sake, that four to six rep range is really good for developing strength. And that's where we get traditional training programs like five by five, or you may have heard of Prelipin's chart where uh, they have you do uh, four sets of six reps one week, five sets of five reps the next week, and then six sets of four reps the week after that. So that four to six rep range is great for developing strength. And then in the one to three rep range, we can still develop that top end strength, but this is where we also start to see uh, a rep range where you can develop a lot of speed and explosive power. So you start to see things like when people do uh, power cleans or when people do medicine ball throws or medicine ball slams, they're sticking within that one to three rep range because it is hard to maintain that explosiveness after that third rep. So one to three reps, maximum strength, explosiveness, and speed. Four to six rep range is where your traditional strength development is going to happen. Get a little bit higher than that. You get to the eight to 12 rep range for hypertrophy or building bigger muscles. And then what I've been a big fan of um, for the past couple of years is doing really, really, really high rep sets, sets of like 25 to sometimes 50 reps. And though we aren't going to get a whole lot stronger doing, doing this many reps and we're not going to build a ton of muscle doing this many reps, you do get a crazy, crazy, crazy pump. And what that does is it allows tons of blood to rush through the working muscle, tons of blood to rush through the joints that you're working. And the more blood flow you can create and the more blood flow you, that you can send to a certain area, it's going to help with joint restoration and recovery. So with the, for things like the elbows, the shoulders, uh, the knees, those three joints in particular for almost any jujitsu athlete you meet are always going to be banged up. And I'm sure you've probably heard it a ton of times. You'll roll Feeling somebody. Mind just like, <laughs> oh, hey, hey, you know what I'm saying? Then, uh, so you may feel like, you know, oh my man, this shoulder, just like it's been really killing me for a couple of weeks now. One of the best things that you can do is to find ways to promote blood flow to that injured area. And that's where some of those really high rep sets, 25 to 50 reps can be valuable to help promote blood flow to those injured areas. I love that. I love how everything's so well thought out because a lot of like guys I see, they'll say, I'm going to the gym. What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing five by five. Okay. Or they're, yeah. doing, five, they're doing five, three, one. And you're like, but why? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just because they've been given it by a, a PT trainer, you know? And that's what was puzzling me was like, how do I do that rehabilitation? And everything I kept reading was like, you need to do this. You have to do that. And I'd be like, but I need to also do this as well. And that is, and that's why I was so chuffed when I found your stuff was because it actually was a grappler telling other grapplers how to do things. How do we start like building that mental toughness? You know, because when we come out of jiu-jitsu, like the AM crew, you know, you're absolutely go balls to the wall, knocking each other, you know. Then you go do training programs. Then you go and do other stuff. How do we go from, oh, I need to go lie down, to resting, recovering, and multiple sessions a day perhaps, or even just thinking about going to the gym on our off day? How how do you switch that mindset? You know, like especially with the likes of Connor who maybe wants to go and do stuff with his mates or whatever. Yeah. How do we focus? How do you focus somebody onto that and make them realize to treat it almost like a job, more than mm. just a hobby? If you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it ultimately comes down to discipline, and that's something that um, I I wholeheartedly believe that my purpose and calling it in life is beyond jujitsu. It's beyond strength and conditioning, but ultimately to set the world on fire with discipline and. 
every athlete, and we can go back to Connor because he is one of the most disciplined athletes I've ever worked with. One thing that we worked on was identifying what were Connor's like real goals and his real vision behind all of this. Why was he wrestling? Wrestling is not an easy sport. Jiu-jitsu is not an easy sport. And I don't really know anybody that would do these sports that's either not crazy or that doesn't have like some insane vision and passion to do something great. And so when you're able to identify what that driving factor is, whether it's, you know what, like people have been telling me for years that I can't, I can't do this and I, I need to prove them wrong. I need to absolutely just find a way to prove them wrong and I'm going to show them or whether maybe you're someone like me, I'm super competitive. And so I see a challenge and I think like, I don't know if I can beat that guy, but I want to find out and just, just see what happens. You know, like I'm going to compete. Let's do it. Let's, let's see what happens. Or maybe it's something even beyond that. That's on a deeper level, but whatever that goal and that vision is and that passion, that is going to be the driving factor. And when you choose discipline over convenience in the immediate moment, when you choose discipline over a temporary pleasure, now you will see your life change in so many different ways. I often say that today's discipline will never outweigh the pain of tomorrow's regret. We've all been there where we had a choice to make take a disciplined action. That could be in anything. That could be in training at jiu-jitsu, going to the gym, showing up to wrestling practice, uh, getting a project done at work, showing up for a family member or someone in our personal relationships. We have a choice to make a disciplined decision that's not going to be easy because we have to deal with that the pain of that discipline now. and Or we can choose to take the temporary pleasure and then have to suffer the immense pain of regret and the immense pain of, of missing that opportunity to be disciplined later on. And so when we talk about like finding the balance between knowing when to, to train hard and when to go hard and, and why myself and all the guys in the AM crew train so intensely, all of us have goals, all of us have dreams, all of us have visions and passions and just extreme intentions on what we want to accomplish every single day when we show up. We train at 4.15 in the morning, four days a week, and we all know what we're there for. Everybody is is surrounding each other, holding each other accountable. If someone doesn't feel like showing up to the gym, everybody's jumping on that person, making sure it's like, hey, remember what you told us. You said you wanted to be a world champ. You mm-hmm. said you wanted to win pants. So unless you're changing your mind and you don't want to win pants and you don't want to win worlds, you're, com- you're coming to the gym. You told us that you wanted to make improvements in this area in your life. That's what you told us. You you were open and vulnerable, and you told us those things. And we could see the pain in your eyes when you told us that. We could see the dissatisfaction you had with your life at the time right then. And if you skip today's workout, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you're circling all the way back to that person you were however many months ago when you first joined. And so we take that very seriously in the AM crew. And anybody, whether they have an AM crew of their own or or not, they can look at that and start applying those lessons into their own life. Like, okay, I think even for someone like myself where I think like, gosh, like I really need to, I don't like the way this thing in my life is going right now. And I need to use some discipline to fix that area or to get help in that area. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's not enjoyable, but every single time I was able to pick those disciplined decisions over that temporary pleasure, it always paid off in the long run. That's a fantastic answer. And I was smiling the whole way through because it was like you were talking to the older version of me. Mm. And mm. I've, I've definitely had the imposter syndrome when I was younger. 
you know, like I would give up when things started getting hard or I'd get to a certain level and say, oh, uh, yeah, I've hurt my knee. Oh, I've done, you know, whatever it was. And the podcast got me, I started doing like over 100 episodes. I was like, I'm not giving up. Usually if it was the older version of me. And now I'm like, oh, wait, now I'm with jiu-jitsu. You know, like I got, when I eventually got my blue belt and instead of going, yeah, that's it. I was like, right, let's, what do I do now? But I got, yep. I changed gyms. So I'm in with a, a guy who's one Polaris. And um, nice. I've, I've got an amazing training partner um, who we, I usually train with. And it's an amazing group of guys that we train there, you know. And I'm just sitting there going, I bought the instructionals. I felt like I was plateauing. Mm. And I was like, how do I then go to, I know I need to get fitter. I know I need to get mm. faster, more explosive. I was buying all these instructions going, it's great to know the moves, but how do you implement them? How do you actually build that kind of understanding or the mental toughness or the, I don't know, the athlete side of ourselves? Yeah. Have you have you had that struggle with people to take them from just turning up and thinking it's self-defense, et cetera, to actually going, you can do this, you know, building that belief yeah. in them? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times that takes, um, that takes a mentor that takes someone that this is, I'd say, to be honest with you, Ian, this is probably one of the best parts about being a coach is being able to see kind of like the, the top of the mountain view, right. Or see the bird's eye view and see like, look, I see you're in this position right here. And you may be surrounded by this fog of uncertainty, this fog of doubt, this fog of uh, unbelief in yourself. But as your coach, I also see what you can be over here. And so I'm going to specifically invest and dedicate time to working with you so that we can walk along this path together. Because all you can see right now is the fog of doubt, the fog of uncertainty, the fog of unbelief. And if we can get past that breaking point in the fog where you start to see clearly again, you're going to start to see that end road and you're going to see the, the steps to get there. And sometimes that initial part of kind of like waving that fog out of their eyes can be the most difficult and sometimes the scariest part. Um, but I found that the thing that helps athletes believe in themselves most is through discipline is when they recognize that they can like, Hey, I was disciplined and I, whether they get up early or don't get up early, they at least got up when their alarm went off. That's a disciplined action that they can start with. Sometimes people will come to me and say like, dude, like I need help with discipline, but I'll be honest, man. I, I, don't, I don't think I can wake up as early as you do. I don't think I can go to the gym like you do. I don't think I can do jujitsu like you do. And I tell them like, you know what? That's okay. And to be honest, you may not be able to do things the way I do them right now because one, I've been doing this for a long time, but two, this is what I'm really passionate about. And you may have different passions. So your discipline may look a little bit different than the way I utilize my discipline, but just taking the simple action of like, okay, the one disciplined action I'm going to take tomorrow when I wake up is I'm going to wait, get up right when that alarm goes off. I'm not hitting snooze. I'm not rolling over. I'm not checking my phone and debating with myself like, well, if I fall asleep now for five minutes, I can get five extra minutes of sleep and I'll still be able to make it work on time. No, you just get up when your alarm goes off. You're a man or woman of your word. You mean what you say and you say what you mean and you take that disciplined action. And you start your day off that way. You string some of those little disciplined actions together, you will see an athlete's confidence just shoot through the roof. So they'll, I, what's the, one of the coolest things is when people just message me 
randomly. Like, I don't, I don't even know them. They said like, dude, like, you'll be so proud of me. I, I was just going to get up early when my alarm went off. I got up and I read three pages and it's like, that's freaking sick. Like, that's awesome. That is such a great step in the right direction. And if you can start building on those things over time, your confidence is going to grow. Your uh, belief in yourself is going to grow. Your ability to kind of look at the skills and the things that you've done and developed, you're going to be able to look at, look at yourself and think like, you know what? Like, I used to think getting up early was hard. I used to think getting up on time was hard, but now I can do that. So I used to think, or I think going to jujitsu is hard now. If I do the same process that I did with getting up early, jujitsu, going to jujitsu may get a little bit easier or something with work or something within a, a certain relationship. So stacking those small wins is huge for developing confidence. And there's, a, there's actually a, a great quote from Will Smith where he said, Every day, try to lay just one brick as perfectly as possible. Like dedicate all your time and focus and energy and effort and laying that brick as perfectly as possible. And then at the end of the day, you can look at that brick and say, you know what? That's a perfect brick. And then the next day, you come back and you start a new brick, just laying it as perfectly as possible. You're making sure everything's lined up. You're making sure the edges are flush and square. You're making sure that there's no... There's no uh, brick glue or cement that's kind of oozing out. It's all filed off and everything's good, perfect. And then you do that the next day. And at the end of the year, not only do you have a wall, but you have a perfect wall. Now, if we dedicate and kind of like focus on just laying one brick as perfectly perfectly as possible each day, it's a, a tiny brick, even if that's getting up early or just getting up on time or just going to jujitsu. At the end of that year, Look at that perfect wall you've built. Sometimes the fog of doubt and uncertainty and disbelief is mixed with the like the debilitating thoughts of like, well, I can't get all the way down there. Like that looks crazy. I, I There's no way I could possibly do that. But if you just focus on where you're at today, taking the one small disciplined action today, you'll be able to stack those on top of each other, build some momentum, and then be able to carry forward with that into anything else you want to achieve. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've noticed that with a lot of top performers, it's that improve 1% in an area each day. It's not yeah. trying to be Superman. like you know. It's just get in, do the work, grind and build. And Because my last gym, I used to be able to knock people down with like you know, a throw a takedown whatever get mm. on top and then i would finish them with a kimura or whatever it was i had a, a very easy way of doing it and now in the new place it's like they're all competitors they're all athletes mm. and i couldn't use my sort of go-to and i was looking and i was like but how do i start going to that level and um i don't know do you know nick alban um chewy yeah uh -huh. um, yep so I've interviewed him, and one of the things he was talking about, like on his um, Ch uh, Chewy Vault, was 
not to try to run if you're an older athlete because your hips can start um, getting affected. So yeah. you might find a stationary bike's better if you're. And I was like, okay, can I do that? But the guys I'm working out with are like 27, 28. So they're all super, and I'm like, uh, how how do I fit into that? So I need the extra recovery time. I need this extra kind of like protocols to say, if you'd said to me, okay, now have you done your lacrosse ball stuff? To, yeah. To type, type, I'll go, what are you on about? But if you'd said, okay, wake up, half seven, you do your your stretches, eight o'clock, you do your foam roller, nine o'clock, you do Building a system, I go, perfect, that works for me. How do we start introducing recovery into this, you know, to get better sleep, to eat better, to all the stuff that's actually going to help us that we forget about? Because, you know, there's all they say is you tear yourself up in the gym, but you actually build it back up by what you eat. Absolutely. How do we take the jujitsu lifestyle on board in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. So recovery is your spot on, Ian. Recovery is one of the most important things. And it really is never about what you do in the gym that allows you to make progress. It's about what you do and can recover from that's directly correlated to you making progress. There's a term that a lot of people use, in my opinion, way too often called overtraining. People say, oh, man, I'm so tired. I'm, I think I'm just overtrained. And I've only probably met two people in my entire life that were genuinely overtrained. I think everybody else is just under recovered. Either they're under recovered in the fact that they're not dedicated enough time to their sleep. They're not sticking to a sound nutritional protocol to make sure that they're getting in the proper nutrients to recover and to uh, continue making progress in the gym and on the mats. And so the first thing that someone can do to start focusing on recovery is first just dial in your sleep. Do your best to get seven hours of sleep each and every single night. I know if, if someone has kids, if someone works graveyard shift, you know, there's a lot of different factors that can make getting seven unbroken hours really difficult, but just do the best you can to get a minimum of seven hours of sleep each night. Now, starting with sleep, we're going to focus on laying that sleep brick, right? As perfectly as possible. Start to implement some practices and some strategies that are going to help enhance your overall quality of sleep. I don't sleep a whole lot. I sleep six and a half to seven hours each night just because the way my schedule works. I'm not going to be able to get much more sleep. So I want to make sure that I'm maximizing the amount of quality that I can get during the time that I'm sleeping. So I do things like I wear blue light blocking glasses a couple hours before bed. I try not to do anything too stimulating or too mentally exciting, so to speak, about an hour to two hours before bed. Uh, The last thing I want to do is go to bed with thoughts of work and all this other stuff kind of running through my mind at the same time. Um, I try to turn the lights off or turn the lights down at, at the very most um, in uh, my house to try to get the room as dark as possible. I try to get the room as cold as possible. My wife and I have uh, like separate blankets so that way I can kind of like control the temperature of my side of the bed. She can control the temperature of her side of the bed. But we do all these different things to help maximize the amount of quality of sleep that we can get within those seven hours. So sleep would be the first thing. And then the next thing would be nutrition, making sure that we're getting in all the proper macronutrients to ensure that recovery can happen. So if you're a jujitsu athlete, whether you're trying to lose some body fat, you're trying to pack on more muscle, or you're just trying to maintain it and prep for competition, regardless of what your training goals are, it's a good practice to get about one gram of protein per pound of body weight or two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. 
that's going to give you a good baseline of protein so that your body has enough to recover and rebuild from training. And then from there, you can start to move around some carbohydrates and fats to make sure that you have enough fuel in the tank for performance. So what I like to do for a lot of my athletes, especially the ones that are, that are the most serious competitors, is I have them have about 25 grams of carbohydrates before and after training. The carbohydrates before training could look like um, a cup, a half cup to a cup of white rice with some salt about 45 minutes to an hour before training, maybe a banana. After training, it would look like something like orange juice and a, a scoop of vanilla whey protein so that we have the carbohydrates and the protein in there as well. Having a sound nutritional protocol that you can follow and adhere to is going to be great for making sure that your body can not only have the energy that it needs to perform well on the mat, but also that you're replenishing that energy right away so it has the nutrients available so that you can recover. And then after that, so you've taken care of your sleep. You've taken care of your nutrition. The third and final thing, which is arguably the hardest one to adhere to, is being able to auto-regulate your training. Now, what does auto-regulate mean? That basically means if you know that you're fatigued and you're flirting on that edge of like, hey, like I need to sleep, I need to recover, and that one training partner comes by and says, hey, let's do a competition round, part of auto-regulation is knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no. I'll, I'll say this. I know for me, I've gotten in more trouble not being disciplined in my approach to saying yes and saying no to certain rolling sessions or live sparring rounds. Uh, and it's ended badly for me almost every time. The times I've gotten injured the most were the times where I was at the end of a long training week. I maybe have been a little shoddy with my recovery. So I not only was it a long training week, but I'm also under recovered from what I should have been doing. I see someone, they're my favorite person to roll with. And they're like, hey, I'm prepping for competition. Let's roll hard. I roll hard and something pops or something gets tweaked. And so that's pain. the last step. Yeah. Mm. You, you feel me, bro? I'm just, I remember breaking a finger because I was helping Ooh. a guy out training for something. And I could, I was just cringing thinking just, oh, I think, I think that's it. Isn't it? It's like, we need to learn as men to say, no, I'm going to sit this one out. This is it's too, I've already because I felt like you were sort of telling me off in a way because when I was thinking yeah I'm good I go to training I go hard and all that and then I was thinking when did I go to sleep oh about two in the mm. morning because I was doing a podcast what did I eat ah oh, frozen pizza all oh, right uh, you know it's when you actually think about what you're doing on a a long term basis you start going ah that's where I'm going wrong that's because my quality of sleep for example I'm up three or four times. You know, like go in the toilet, and I just randomly wake mm, up, mm-hmm. and it's like maybe I need um, darker curtains and stuff like that. Mm. And I think that's what we don't think about. And we, you know, people kind of go, oh, I could never be Gordon Ryan, I could never be Gaval or whoever it is. But you can implement the training stuff that they do to become better. Yeah. And that's where I think, you, you know, your stuff's amazing because you do the mindset stuff, you do the discipline stuff, but you also do the training stuff, the rolling stuff. Is that where you think people go wrong with their training? Is the gas out that they're trying to keep up with people who are extra mm. fit or they're not recovering enough? Where do you see injuries usually coming from? You know, I think um, I think if you asked me this question two years ago, I'd have a different answer. And then in two years from now, when we uh, run this back, hopefully mm. uh, sooner than two years from now. But uh, <laughs> if you ask me in two years, that my answer may change again. But 
right now today, at least at, in January of 2022, the biggest issue I see with grappling athletes, especially ones that compete at the highest level, is that they tr they they all train hard. Everybody at the highest level trains hard. If you qualify for ADCC, if you're you know making it to uh, worlds in the IBJJF, it's no secret that you train hard. It's no secret that you train a lot. So I don't think that's really an, an issue. But the thing I the thing I see I, I break it up into two categories. So the first category on the jujitsu side is that I don't think athletes are properly structuring and periodizing their training to maximize the results that they're going to make in the gym. They show up to the gym, they roll really hard for 90 minutes, and that's their training session. Then they're done. Now, that's great. That's definitely important to get those hard training rounds in. But how are you structuring a training camp leading up to something like ADCC or leading up to something like IBJJF Worlds? How are you structuring a training camp to also take care of what when's your drilling time? When What periods of your training camp are you specifically going to focus on mentally thinking about certain techniques, ingraining those movements into your head? At the highest levels, you have so many movements in your head already. So it's just a matter of being able to find all the different gaps and holes in those things and be able to string those things together. When are you going to find time to get in your hard drilling rounds where you're not? So here's something that that is kind of in line with that issue. If you only do hard training rounds, you're only going to play your A1 game. You're only going to play the moves that you're best at. You're not going to be put in a lot of positions where you're in your weakest spot. You're going to skip over those and immediately go to where you're most comfortable. If you're also only doing training rounds, you're not getting a good idea of the conditioning side of things because uh, when I uh, roll in the gi, I'm a big fan of lapel guard. Now, lapel guard's awesome because it's a great way to control your opponent, but it's also a detriment at some points because it's also a great way to just not move around a whole lot during our live training round, and you can catch your breath quite a bit. If you're only doing live training rounds and you're only putting people in lapel guard where you slow the pace down quite a bit, you're not getting that much exposure to those higher intensity rounds. And once you meet someone that's able to pass that lapel guard, you're going to be ill-prepared. So I think that one of the biggest issues on the mats is that athletes aren't structuring and periodizing their training camps for a competition to tackle all those different areas, tackle their drilling, their mindset training, their, their hard drilling sessions or their positional sparring sessions, along with their live rolling sessions. And then on the other side is the uh, strength and conditioning side. Then the big mistake that I see a lot of athletes making in um, on the strength and conditioning side is that because they saw a lot of success in the gym or because they established a certain physique that they were desiring, they equated that with improved performance on the mat. Now, uh, not that looking jacked and not that being – strong is a bad thing because it's definitely not more muscle oftentimes equals to greater amounts of strength which i'm a big fan of however if you only train like a like a bodybuilder you're going to run into some injuries and there's a ton of athletes where we've seen that happen already if you only train uh with high intensity interval training or you only train with crossfit there's going to be some injuries that are probably going to happen along the way too and we've already seen professional athletes in jiu-jitsu experience those as well so I think there needs to be a much more well-rounded approach, a much more specific approach to strength, strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu. You can still have the fun bodybuilding stuff in there, but at some point, you have to work on some of those other things, like the anti-rotation, looking like uh, also looking at the lunge movement, making sure that uh, their squatting patterns are are sound and that they can squat effectively without you know caving their knees in or having a 
uh, anterior pelvic tiller, that butt weak position. At the same time, on the other end, I think that uh, athletes need to periodize and structure their tra- their mat time training a little bit better as well. I can't believe it's 52 minutes. It feels like I've only been 10 minutes. I, I think we could chat about this for hours. I'd love to have you I, I on think again. so. I think so. At the start of this, you said uh, you had about three podcasts worth of material, and I, I think we could definitely do this again and have, have a blast. And I don't think I've even started scratching the surface yet. I mean, like one of like one of the things I've really interested was, you know, that moment in training where you're sort of diving on top of somebody, and you know you're breathing out your arse, and you know you're thinking this is absolutely shattered, and you push yourself to finish that round, and you get that little buzz, and you're like, okay, yeah. And then the next time that pushes you a wee bit higher, so that's maybe you're at your high capacity rate, and then it's the bit higher, bit higher. Is that how you're sort of doing it? Where some sessions you just are maybe not feeling it, so you kind of build up to it. You kind of mm. you work like because, for example, me and my training partner some days he would say, "Okay, you're catching me in an armbar too much. That's banned for the month. You've got to do mm. from the bot. You've got or you've got to roll from the bottom only. You can't play top game unless." You're you've managed to work your way back up because I was always a top game fat guy pressure passer. Is that the sort of thing if we could do to kind of challenge yourselves to keep it fresh, but also like you're saying to add in those areas? Yeah, absolutely. I am a big fan of that, Ian. It, it, I, I I try to structure my training the exact same way that you that you just laid it out. And so um, the way I kind of look at it is if I'm rolling with a lower belt or someone that I have a lot more technical experience than, or maybe someone that we're the same belt level, but they're a lot older. So the physical advantages that I have kind of put me at, a, at an unfair um, unfair advantage. I'll focus on on two things. I go into every class with two techniques that I want to work. Right now, I've been uh, working a lot of arm drags from bottom. So arm drags from half guard, arm drags from butterfly. And then um, some other things that I've been working on is my guard pass. And so I have a technique on bottom. I have a technique on top. I don't always structure it in top and bottom like that. Sometimes it's like, hey, I'm just I'm going to spend the whole week pulling guard and I want to focus on uh, certain sweeps and triangles. So I always go into every class with two techniques that I want to learn that I want to focus on and further develop. Usually I run with those for two, sometimes maybe four weeks. It just depends on kind of how much success I see with it. If I'm able to start using it pretty well during some live training, then maybe I'll stick with it a little bit longer. But having a goal and having some clear parameters and intention on what you can do to get better is huge. I put up a, a post on Instagram and, and sent an email out to my email uh, subscribers a couple weeks ago about um, some things that you can do to immediately improve your performance on the mat. And I'm talking like immediately get better. And one of those things is going into each training session with a clear intention, a clear vision, and a clear purpose, a clear intention of what the training session is going to be. My intention for tonight's training session in a couple hours is to roll pretty technical, but I want to have at least one or two pretty tough rounds. I want to, I want to gangster out a little bit, as I like to say. Now, my vision for the tonight's training session is, okay, I'm gonna, my vision is, okay, I'm going to hit those arm drags from bottom. I'm going to work on a couple of those guard passes, make sure I could see myself doing that. And what would be a successful training session at the end of the day, I can see in my mind is me at least being able to hit two arm drags and two guard passes. So I tackled my intention, tackled my vision. Now the purpose of this training session 
is not to completely annihilate myself. The purpose of this training session is to not go so hard that I can't lift tomorrow morning. The purpose of this training session is to work on those technical things, work up a good sweat, get out of breath a little bit, but still have some left over in the tank. So that way tomorrow I can hit my two training sessions tomorrow. So one thing that'll to, to wrap up that would just help every grappling athlete that's listening to this, go into every training session with clear intentions, a clear vision, and a clear purpose. And you'll see some massive, massive improvements in your ability on the mat. So if we're taking from that, you have no idea how I want to stop and start taking notes. Like, <laughs> you know, how, how do we analyze this? How do we look at mistakes and you know, like when we get tapped and, you know, we feel like an absolute bitch because we've been launched around the mat by somebody, you know, how do we start reviewing our progress and actually checking our sleep and stuff? You know, do you find like these apps work? Do you find, do you have a training app? Do you prefer notepads? Are there any tools you use to analyze or sort of grade our progress? Because I think that's a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm a big fan of spreadsheets and journals. So for me personally, everything I do from a strengthening and conditioning perspective gets plugged into a spreadsheet. Everything I do from a jujitsu perspective gets plugged into a journal or on like a running notes file on my phone. Um, and then I'm also just because it's, it's part of my job and and it's it's crucial for the company that I run. But I, I film a ton, a ton, a ton of content. And most of that content is just me setting up my camera at jujitsu and just filming my roles. And what I'll do is every, you know, probably once or twice a week. And, you know, when I get, when I'm really good at, at getting this time and it's every day, but at least once or twice a week, I'll just sit down and I'll watch some of those roles. And if there's something like, man, that guy caught me with two arm bars with the same setup. I need to go back and watch that video. When I get home, I need to go back and see like, okay, Oh, that's how we set it up because I keep leaving my arm out this way. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of monitor progress. Um, One thing that I think is a huge indicator of progress is consistency. So just start logging how many times you go to jujitsu in a certain week. And if you could look at like over the course of a month, whether you're someone that likes to track everything in an app, you're a spreadsheet guy, maybe you're uh, a a journaler, regardless of what kind of method or, or medium you use, just try to look back at the month and see like I logged in. There's 31 days in January. I logged in 20 jujitsu classes. That's awesome. That's a great mark of progress because in December I only logged 10 and that's even better in November because I only logged six in November. So if you're able to track your consistency over time, that's a great place to start and then find what works best for you. Find out if you, if it works best for you and you want to download one of those apps that allows you to track some of these things I don't track a whole lot of other metrics for my body outside of body weight and how many steps I get in per day. Um, if you have access to checking your body fat percentage, you know, a couple times a month, that's great. If you have access to get your blood work done a couple times a year, I think that's a great health practice as well. Um, I don't have a smartwatch uh, or a way to track my sleep, but if I had a smartwatch, then I would be tracking my sleep. That's a pretty simple thing to do. Um, and yeah, just find what works best for you and whatever, anything that gets measured can be improved upon. So whether you're measuring how many days you go to jujitsu, whether you're measuring how many uh, hours of sleep you're getting from uh, night to night, whether you're measuring your body weight on a on a daily basis, any of those things would be able to help you out. Because that's definitely something I've started doing is like I've actually started writing out the moves we're doing, like I was teaching somebody nice. or write, you know, and I kind of find myself going back and actually remembering all the little points 
now that I'm taking it serious, but I feel like I'm at that cusp now of like, I either take, stop dipping my toe in and say, okay, yeah, it's not for me. Or I go, but I go for it. And I'm at that moment now where these guys are all like top level performers like the Yeah. And I'm just like, I need to do this, but I'm just like, I've started to watch all the instructionals I've got. I've started thinking I need to eat healthier, sleep better. And then suddenly I found you on Instagram and I was like, this is this guy, this is who I'm following. You know? And when I listened to you speaking to like Mark uh, on Mark Bell's podcast, I was like, he gets it. He understands this. It's not just a guy who's a strength guy only, who doesn't understand. Yeah. But what have you noticed about working with Mark, you know, and people like that, all these top performers? Have you noticed similarities in how the top performers act, you know, the people who like your successful clients and how did you overcome the fear of going, okay, I'm going to move away from the set, you know, his brand and set up your own brand because you're going from strength to strength, but that's scary for a lot of people. So how did you, how did you overcome that step? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, so I, I first started working, uh, with Mark Bell in 2018. I was a junior in college and I had originally wanted to go to school or go to university so I could be a physical therapist. And that was all great and dandy until I actually worked at a physical therapy office for about six months. And I realized like, I love learning about the human body and I love learning about rehab. I definitely don't love working in a physical therapy office setting. There's no loud music. There's no heavy weights. There's nobody getting chopped up to do, you know, some three sets of 10 external shoulder rotation drill. So I just in squats. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So once I discovered that, I realized like, gosh, like I, as much as I love the study of physical therapy and kinesiology, this environment is not for me. Um, And at the time, I had already been following Mark's content, his YouTube channel, listening to his podcast. I'd been following Mark for a long time. And I was just thinking like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I kind of want to do whatever Mark's doing. He's a meathead millionaire. He lifts weights. He's freaking jacked. And he's able to support his family and run uh, a very successful business. And whatever that looks like, I want to do my own version of that. So fast forward a couple of years, it's time for me to start looking for internships for college um, all the internships opportunities at the college had kind of had connections with and presented were all at physical therapy offices and hospitals doing physical therapy work. And so I asked one of my professors, I said, Hey, there's like this gym. Um, but it's not like, uh, the gym that I'm working at now. I used to work at a different gym. Uh, that was more of like your traditional, uh, family fitness type of type of gym. Um, so it's not like the gym I'm working at now. Um, but the guy there, he's like really knowledgeable about strength and conditioning. And he's also a really successful entrepreneur. And I was kind of like nervous to tell them like this guy, Mark Bell, like, can I just go intern there? But thankfully one of my professors knew who Mark was. He was familiar with Mark and his content. He didn't know him personally, but he was very well with super training gym and, and the slingshot brand. And he said, uh, like even though it's not official, it's not the official in the official list of these internship opportunities that the college has presented for you. If you can get in at Super Training Gym, I'll write off whatever you need, and that'll be your internship. So, I was able to make the connections, go to Super Training Gym, get connected there, and then my the years I spent there uh, working for Mark Bell was were some of the most transformative years of my entire life. And what you had said. Um, 
or where you had originally asked about like, what's the common theme with guys like Mark Bell that sets them apart. One of the biggest things that I saw was that Mark had clear visions about what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. And he was super, super, super humble and saying things like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Or actually I'm not, I'm not very good at that, but I'd like to get better. There was hardly ever any ego with Mark. If I asked Mark a question about some sort of strength and conditioning thing, uh, nine times out of 10, he would have some like great answer. And sometimes he'd say, uh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure, but you know what? I think I know a guy that might be able to help you out. Let me give you his number. How about you text him and ask him? Cause I don't really know. And that humility was really refreshing because it showed that like I viewed Mark as like, this guy's the expert. This guy knows everything. This guy is like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he was someone who was humble enough to say like, oh, I know some stuff, but I don't know everything. So let me go defer to someone else that knows that knows more than me. And so that was a big common denominator that I saw with Mark and a lot of the people that he was surrounded by in the industry. They were extremely humble. And that experience as a whole, man, was, was amazing. And, and one of the most amazing things about it was that Mark kind of knew from the start um, that I wasn't going to be an employee of his forever. I was able to develop a really strong relationship with him. And he had told me pretty early on of me working there. He said, Hey, look, man, like, I know you're not going to work here forever. So start developing a brand for yourself. Now start, you know, documenting some of these things now. And if there's anything that I can help with to like kickstart you along the way, like, just let me know. And that was really early, like in 2018. And now uh, last year in July was when I uh, transitioned out of the company. I'm still very close with Mark and all, all the friends and relationships that I made there at Slingshot. But now that I'm running my own company full time, it was just awesome to have Mark kind of be in my corner the whole time and, and just really encourage me. And, and as much as, you know, he has even said himself, like, man, like there are still days like where I wish he still worked here because it was awesome having you here, even though he does say that he's also been very supportive and very encouraging and, and just, you know, pushing me to go off and, and do my own thing. Because definitely in that podcast you had with them, they were the love was there. You know, you could feel like they, they treated you like a little brother kind of thing. You know, you yeah, one of the family. Yeah, did feel like that. I mean, I, I I loved Mark when I was younger. I mean, I um I learned to bench, squat, deadlift. I mean, I'm I'm in the Highlands of Scotland and I've got a slingshot. I don't. Oh, know there you that. go. So, yes, sir. Um, I mean, I use it for push ups when I'm up here just now because I, there's no like um there's no local gym and stuff like that. And when I actually seen him using it, I was like, oh my god! And then he was talking to like uh, Doctor Hightower about his injuries, and he was admitting the time that. He thought he was destroyed after his bro- his brother's death, or the time that he sc- fell with a thousand pounds on his back, and it, he was like the humanity of it. I was like, oh, this is you know. And I've interviewed like Chris Duffin, uh, Chad Wesley Smith, all these kind of people who I've seen on his show as well. And it yeah. was that level of like sharing these amazing things. And now, I think this is where you, it's great because now it given you the confidence to go and do your thing and really explode. Yeah. And I can't see how you're not going to be a superstar it's your stuff is amazing and it's like like i'm, I'm actually guided this is an hour 10 minutes and i feel like I, I, I could talk for hours more but what would you want people to take from this before we get in around two three four five whatever yeah what would you want them to take from this as a kind of like a reminder a message like a go-home message yeah you know man i i've been saying this for a couple of years and 
every year it becomes more and more true. All good things come from discipline. All good things in life come from discipline. All good job opportunities, all good relationships, all good friendships, uh, marital relationships, uh, relationships between parents and kids, relationships between um, employers and employees, coaches and athletes, students and teachers, uh, all good things in health, all good things in business, all good things in um, just uh, from an emo emotional health and a spiritual health perspective, all good things come from discipline. So if there's one thing that I can kind of leave your audience with today, it would be that all good things come from discipline. And underneath that umbrella, there's definitely room for getting stronger so you can win more matches and get injured less. So if we had, say you had a fat 39-year-old, lacking mobility, lacking his conditioning, who wanted to take that next level in jiu-jitsu. I want to slap myself for these puns. Um, hey, you're good. How would you, what would you say for the next say for the next three, four months, you know, hopefully COVID's going to get to hell, but for the, you know, what would you say is the three things you'd want me to come back and say, this is what I've done this month or I've done next week. What would you want homework if for people listening? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first things first is if you're not focused on your mobility already for whoever's listening to this or watching this, definitely start focusing on your mobility. Try to fix your squat position. If you can sit in the bottom of a squat for five to 10 minutes, that's a great sign that you're moving in the right direction. Once you tackle some of your mobility, then I would start to implement uh, some just some really basic strength and conditioning. That could look like getting lifting a couple times a week, um, going to jujitsu on the other days of the week. If you want to mix in some specific conditioning stuff, that could look like just some simple stuff on the bike, you know, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for about 10 minutes is a great place to start. And then third, really be clear about what we talked about earlier, your intentions, your vision, and your purpose. Whether you go into the gym, make sure you have a clear intention, vision, and purpose. If you're going to jujitsu, have a clear intention, vision, and purpose. And if you need help with doing all of those things, I just released the Strength Matrix, which is every grappling athlete's one-stop shop for sound strength and conditioning training programs that covers everything from mobility for jujitsu, explosive power for wrestling. There's different training programs that are specifically designed to help athletes make progress in the right direction. We have Bracket Smasher, which is uh, what every grappling athlete needs to help them improve explosive power, increase conditioning, decrease the risk of injury, and improve their maximal strength. We have Matt Strong, which is a full 12-week full-body strength development program. We have Matt Jack, which is our, which is probably like one of my favorite uh, training programs that we have on the Strength Matrix. It's all about getting jacked and tanned, as Mark Bell would say, building more muscle. And then we have Overtime, which is our conditioning training program. And that program is really unique in the sense that it's a conditioning training program that also contains some strength work so that way you're not decreasing your strength at all. You're still able to maintain the strength that you've developed. We're just able to really maximize the conditioning. So anyone in your audience that's willing uh, to uh, check that out, the registration for the strength matrix is closed, but if you, I'm going to send you a link Ian. that way you can put the link in the description of uh, this podcast. If anybody uses the link that I give Ian, regardless if registration is closed or open, you guys will always be able to get in on the inside for the strength matrix. Cause the strength matrix was bad. I feel like that was, I had a whole section devoted to that. And I, I'm like, Oh God, we're well, now we're 10 and I haven't even asked them to make you. Hey, no worries, bro. I mean, that's when I, like your free program that you give away for signing up to your, you know, your newsletter, that alone, you would pay 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds to a PT for. 
And, you know, that's, and you wouldn't even get something as helpful as that. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I seen all these like sub programs. I was like, right, we got to get this guy on. This, this is amazing. I, I, I'm actually really disappointed to, to have to say, like, you know, but obviously, how can we keep in touch? How can we sign up? How can we follow your newsletter? I mean, I, I already want to book you in for another one, like, straight away. But yeah. How would, what would you advise people to do to, you know, apart from the strength matrix, when that reopens, what can we do? Can we, you know, how can we follow your projects and and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ian, dude, this has been awesome, man. I'm definitely down to run this back several more times in the future. So I'm sure we'll be able to make that happen. Uh, but you guys can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Settledge. That's J-O-S-H-U-A-S-E-T-T. L-A-G-E. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram and on my YouTube channel, which is Setledge Strength. So that's my last name, S-E-T-T-L-A-G-E, Strength, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H. Um, if you want to contact me or have questions about anything, the best way to contact me would be to shoot me a message on Instagram. I get back to everybody in my DMs. So you guys can follow me on Instagram, at Joshua Selledge. You can shoot me a message there. And then um, if you guys are, are interested in downloading that free four-week strength program, it's a two-day training split that focuses on uh, posterior chain development and grip strength. You guys can go to the strengthmatrix.com, and then there will be a section there for you to be able to uh, opt into that. I love it. Because I've, I've just got up looking at my prompts, and I was like, there's still so much here. You know, we haven't even talked about, like, competitions and push. You know, it's – right, we've, we've got to get another one booked in. This has been a we'll, blast. We'll do it, it's, man. We'll, it's we'll been get amazing. it on the calendar. And is there anything coming up that you want to promote to people just now? Is there anything that you would, um, you know, any kind of talks, any presentations you're giving? Not right now. Um, we're still pretty early in the year, so I'm still kind of like mapping out kind of the rest of my my content. Um, but yeah, you guys will be the first to know if you guys are signed up for the newsletter or if you guys are following me on Instagram, and that's the best way to keep in touch with me. There's some stuff that um, I've been working on in over the course of 2021 and so to see the those projects specifically the strength matrix come to fruition and get released it's been awesome so you guys are at a good time to kind of tune into everything that we're doing here at settled strength and uh you guys are down to clown and down for the cause it'd be great to have you right along with us well that's it for another week and thank you for listening it's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.